right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. This episode is uh, with Matthew Heineman and Matthew Hamachek, uh, the co-directors of Tiger, the documentary that has been airing on HBO. Part one was this past weekend. Uh, part two is this coming weekend. We chatted about it on this last week's podcast. We'll talk about it again this coming weekend. Uh, but want to chat with the guys just about the process of making the documentary. You know, some things got left on the cutting room floor, what the mindset was. Uh, we had a great chat. As always, it's difficult with two different people in two different locations. Doesn't help things when they both have the same name and the same first initial of their last name. So uh, we try to direct the questions uh, to each person as I saw fit. Um, but that was definitely, definitely a challenge. But I think you guys are going to Really enjoy this interview. I want to give a shout out to our friends at Whoop before we get going here. Whoop, W-H-O-O-P, uh, a fitness wearable, if you're not aware of it, uh, that we've been wearing for quite some time now. Uh, I've been hitting some very green numbers this past week. I've been cutting back a little bit on the alcohol. I'm not saying it's a New Year's resolution, but just trying to be a little more conscious of, uh, of what I'm doing to my body. The Whoop helps me keep track of those things, how well I'm sleeping, what kind of strain I'm putting on my body you know, kind of what my habits are, how they're affecting how my body recovers. Again, kind of all information you might think you know, but you don't really know until you track it. Uh, you can see the results. You can see how that, you know, percentage-wise, how it affects your recovery, your sleep time, how well you sleep, the time you spend in REM, all these things, all great information to have. Go to whoop.com. You can use promo code no laying up for 15% off your purchase, which can save you a huge bundle of money. So uh, again, whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P. Use promo code no laying up at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Without any further delay, let's talk Tiger. Joining me now, uh, the directors of the uh, Tiger documentary on HBO, which we've been covering pretty extensively and plan to continue to cover, uh, Matthew Hamachek and Matthew Heineman. Always got to do this first, you know, when we have two guests on, so people can uh, can distinguish the voices a little bit. Let's start with Heineman. Uh, you can't say Matthew H either. You're both Matthew H, but uh, Matthew Heineman, uh, thanks for joining us. You mind uh, kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and how you end up on this project, and then we'll get to Matthew Hamachek. Sure. Thanks for having us on. Uh, yeah, I'm a, a documentary filmmaker. Uh, also make narrative films as well. But uh, you know, I had done a whole host of different subjects from you know Mexican cartels to uh, ISIS to different things in, in the U.S. And this is the first film for me that, that was sort of more of a you know quote unquote like talking head film, uh, an, an archival based film. And I, I actually came on after Matt. But, you know, I was always interested in, in Tiger Woods. I was always interested in his story. We all obviously grew up with him looming in our public consciousness. Um, I can't say that I'm a golf fan. Um, I can't say that I'm much of a golfer, although, you know, I, I did grow up playing golf uh, occasionally. Um, so I think for me, I was much more interested in telling the story of the man and trying to dissect and understand who he is and who he was. Matthew Hamachek, then uh, as well, how did, how did you get involved with this project? And, uh, you know, how, how did you end up working with uh, Mr. Heineman? Well, um, you know, I've, I've been working in documentary now for about 17 years, done a whole host of, uh, you know, subjects ranging from, you know, um, elections in Newark, New Jersey to um, the Amanda Knox story. 
worked with Matt uh, as a producer and editor before um, on a couple of films. And then, you know, this is the first one that I directed. Um, I got involved, you know, because I was intrigued by the Tiger Woods story. To me, you know, I think Tiger is arguably one of the most famous uh, and most recognizable faces on the planet. And, you know, he's been covered by so many people uh, for his entire life, really. And then, you know, on 2009, on Thanksgiving night, when he crashed his car into the fire hydrant outside his house in Isleworth, I think we all sort of realized that we know next to nothing about Tiger, despite all that coverage. And trying to get to the bottom of who Tiger Woods is, uh, you know, is what really fascinated me and made me want to uh, dive into the story. How short was the conversation with Tiger's camp on whether or not he would be, uh, he or they would be involved in or participating in the project? It was pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, we, we almost somewhere near to the beginning of the process, reached out to him uh, via his camp and, and, you know, obviously wanted you know him to participate if he was if he was open to it um you know they they pointed to a pre-existing relationship with another network that prohibited them from from taking part and it it seemed pretty black and white uh there wasn't there wasn't a lot of wiggle room to to sort of debate there and uh and then we tried again later on in the process uh during the edit um and got a similarly you know clear response yeah, I think that's not unique to you guys. That's 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 uh, pretty much can be the same for a lot of people in the in the golf industry. But before we kind of get into the specifics and uh, some of the storylines and themes and some of the feedback uh, of of the documentary, I want to ask you both what what makes a great documentary, right? You guys do this, you know, way outside of the world of golf, um, as you as you've documented here. But what what is it? Because I, I I think. You know, for golf fans, they can come into a story like this, and if the story is not exactly the way they want it to be told or picture it being told, they can get uh, kind of, I don't know, not confused being the right word, but coming in from the outside uh, of this story and, and documenting it. I, I'm interested to just kind of hear your philosophy on, on storytelling, and that's going to ultimately lead us to, you know, this, this uh, two-part documentary. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I think Matt will agree with me on this. I think, you know, there's many different types of documentaries. You know, you can have sort of these encyclopedic, almost like a Ken Burns style thing where you where you cover things over m- multiple different parts and you like with the Civil War, it's every single battle and, you know, all these different people. I think the type of films that Matt and I have made together and the things that I know I like uh, are sort of character-driven documentaries where you get inside one person's life or a couple different people's lives and you really sort of, you know, get to know them and understand who they are, what makes them tick, things like that. And I think that's sort of the first part of uh, the answer. I think the second part, for me at least is I don't like to be told exactly how I'm supposed to feel when I'm watching something. And I, I prefer documentaries that often sort of ask more questions than they, they answer. And so, especially with the Tiger story, there's just been so much that's been done about him that has been, you know, fawning sort of golf media that, you know, I've, I've, I've watched so many things about Tiger in our extensive research for this. And it's like, you know, everything from his golfing prowess down to, I recently saw a five minute segment about his, uh, you know, Starbucks drink of choice on golf TV. And so it's, you know, there's that's, there's sort of that side of the Tiger story. And then there's, uh, 
you know, the tabloid sensationalistic sort of um, uh, side that that was, as we talk about in the film, it was on more, there were more New York Post covers dedicated to the Tiger Woods story than there were for 9-11. And so, you know, I think uh, I'll, I'll let Matt sort of pick up on this, but, you know, I think that um, we wanted to sort of come from a different perspective to understand who Tiger Woods is and to, you know, make a complex and nuanced story. I agree with everything that Matt said, obviously. And, and I think, you know, when I, <laughs> he'll laugh, he's, a, he's heard me say this a million times, but, you know, when I was, when I was 21, a, a mentor of mine in the film world said that if you end up with a story you started with, then you weren't listening along the way. And I think that's good advice for life. And I think that's good advice for filmmaking is, is don't be dogmatic. Don't script things. Don't go into things with a, you know, deeply preconceived notion. Let the, let the story sort of dictate where it should go. And, and I think that's a really wonderful way to approach filmmaking and documentaries in particular. And, and that's something that I've you know, held very near and dear to my heart in every film that I've ever made. And again, most of the films I've made have been out in the field, you know, filming in faraway countries or in, in you know, dangerous places and, and, and shooting things that are happening in real time. So this is a completely different exercise here because we were trying to find that same intimacy, that same depth but with, you know, more constraints. Obviously, we're constrained by the footage that we're able to find and we're constrained by the characters that we're able to get to sit in the chair. But similarly, we tried to have the same ethos of of trying to tell as intimate and deep a portrayal of, of Tiger as, as we possibly could and, and sort of embrace, again, the complexity of the human condition and, and not shy away from it. You know, I think so many stories and so many people in general like to paint Tiger with a simple brushstroke, and that's just not at all what we're interested in. And I think, you know, the, the reaction to the, to the doc has been interesting. You know, I think there's been a lot of people that, that just don't want to hear anything <laughs> negative about Tiger at all. Uh, you know, I, I think it was yesterday, a couple days ago maybe, someone wrote on, on Twitter, a journalist, something like, he was a flawed but loving father referring to Earl who produced a flawed but transformative athlete. athlete. Life is me- messy but beautiful. Really interesting response to the doc. Um, and that, was, then, so, that was that was Brandel Chambly, who's uh, a <laughs> uh, yeah. And then and then someone wrote, which which really made me laugh. One step forward and two steps back. Sometimes I just don't get where your head is. You really confuse me. You like Tiger, then you don't. Then you do, then you don't. Tiger fans just like Tiger. We don't psychoanalyze him. Stop pretending you like Tiger. Stop being self-righteous. And, and I think what's interesting about that in particular and in general, the response that we've seen is it's not even that people, you know, so much salacious tabloid stuff has been written about Tiger. And we really cover that. And it's a large, you know, component of, of especially the second half of the film. I think what's interesting is that people don't even want him to be humanized. And I think there's a difference between salaciousness that you see in the tabloids and just humanizing somebody. It, it sometimes it feels as if people want to hang on to the um, to the image that they have of Tiger in their mind as sort of a godlike figure, and that's and that's a also a huge component of what we talk about in the documentary. Well, it's interesting. You you said the word salacious and you said tabloids there, and, and I think what comes with those words is you know, borderline lies or stretches of the truth. And I, 
as far as I can tell, and I, I'm curious your guys' feedback, that doesn't seem to be the case with what was printed in these tabloids, right? It ended up being quite true and confirmed by many, many people. And I think the documentary is, part of it is covering the salaciousness of that media reaction. The documentary itself, I would most definitely not classify as salacious. I actually thought in many ways it was sympathetic to Earl and to Tiger and to the relationships he had with some of these women. Was that, is that your guys' reaction to it? Is that a conscious decision? How did you go about handling something that obviously was so insanely public? Uh, I couldn't help but notice the text messages were not in there, the voicemail uh, that he left that you know was circulating throughout you know so many different places. That's my response to the people that said it was too salacious. I'm like, I mean, guys, this happened, and it could have been a lot worse in terms of how this was depicted in the, in the documentary. I think Matt and I had no interest in like capital N O interest in making a salacious regurgitation of of the sort of lurid details of of. Tiger's infidelities, you know, that had been well documented. And I, you know, I think we, we wanted to, as, as you said, we wanted to highlight the positive and the negative and, and hopefully, as you say, you know, create a sympathetic portrait. I mean, one, one example obviously is with Rachel, you know, with Rachel, it, you know, it took a long time to get her to trust us and, and, and to gain her trust to get her to sit down and talk to us. You know, she obviously had her reasons. She wanted to tell her side of the story. She wanted to, after years of being silenced and after years of having her name dragged through the mud, she wanted to finally come out and speak. And But, you know, we also wanted to talk to her, not, again, for those lurid details, but to understand who was Tiger at that time. What was he thinking? What was it like to be in, in, in a bedroom with him and, and what was going through his mind, you know, during those moments? That was much more interesting to us then again, the salacious details. A quick break here, check in with our friends at Walker Trolleys. As you guys know, we are big proponents of walking and golf, as are the guys at Walker Trolleys. I can't tell you how many compliments and questions I get on my Walker Trolley. People say it looks like a stroller, and if you haven't heard of them, we'll tell you a little bit about them. They made a big splash in their first year. They launched an all-new Cape model this past July. Brings a little golden age style with a clean and sleek design. I can't even describe how quick and easy it is to get it in and out of your car. It takes less than two seconds to set up a very simple folding trolley. It's the most simple one on the market and just got a striking design. It helps you really stand out. And again, I get so many, so many questions about it. It's, invest in a good trolley. These things are going to last a long time. I know a lot of people are shut in uh, you know, with winter weather and not playing a lot of golf. This is a great off-season purchase you can make. They also offer some unique custom storage accessories to help you differentiate your trolley. Kind of like uh, almost like club head covers for your push cart. So, a few new uh, options upcoming, including a push cart mafia design in collaboration with us here at No Laying Up. So, uh, go to walkertrolleys.com today, use code No Laying Up 20, and you get $20 off your total order. Let's get back to the podcast. Did she have a, a non disclosure agreement? You know, did she break it for this? Why haven't we heard from her in, in 10 years? I think, you know, I think the answer to that is probably. If you it, when you watch part two, which is going to be airing um, this Sunday at nine p.m., you'll see the way that the media went after her after the after the story came out, and it was an interesting thing because, you know, as she talks about it, she talks about how she'd walk out of her apartment and they'd say things like, "I hope you get AIDS and die," and you you could see the way that the women on the View sort of called her a whore and things like that. I think that if you've been pummeled like that in the public eye for so many years. You know, 
I still remember one of the things that she talked to us about when we first met with her is she just said, you know, sometimes I'll be in the school pickup line at, you know, um, at, at her child's school and people will still come up and make comments to her about it. I think she was just constantly having to be reminded of this thing, this sort of mistake that, heck, I mean, we're all flawed people, right? Uh, and and she made a mistake and she had to live with it for the rest of her life. And I think, you know, if you go through something like that, do you really want to dig all that stuff back up again on a, you know, and I think that's why it took 10 years and sort of, as Matt said, even when we got into uh, the room with her and we were able to talk to her about it, she still was hesitant for quite some time before she finally sat down and talked to us. So I, I'm a, like many people, I read the book Tiger Woods by Armin Gatain and Jeff Benedict, which I, to, to full disclosure, I listened to the audiobook, uh, which helped a lot on a road trip, which I think it was something along the lines of 16 hours in the audiobook. Uh, this documentary is, is three hours. What is the process like for taking, you know, that's the source material, you know, that, that is some of the source material you're also doing all these additional interviews on top of it. How do you take, you know, a story that took the, these guys this long to spell out and take it into three hours. I mean, was there thought to making this a 10-part series? And from there, I kind of want to get into some of the things that you had to leave on the cutting room floor, uh, you know, strong storylines that you you couldn't even broach because it would have taken an hour just to kind of fully cover it. I'm wondering if you can speak on some of that. I mean, look, so much has been written about Tiger. And, you know, we certainly started with Jeff and Armin's book and uh, read it. But we, I mean, you know, you you also go back in time and you read Gary Smith's article, uh, you know, in 1996 called The Chosen One and Charlie Pierce's article that, that followed that. I, I, I think if anything, there has been so much incredible uh pieces written about Tiger Woods over the years. Um, Wright Thompson's piece, uh, The Secret History of Tiger Woods, that detailed uh, some of the Navy SEAL stuff. But what I would say is, and, and Jeff and Armin's book was incredible and you know was an inspiration for us as well, obviously. But um, one of the things that you know Matt alluded to earlier and I think is was really important to our process was we were very fortunate to be able to find people that were actually in the living room with Tiger, you know, when he was growing up or, you know, were on the golf course with him, Joe Groman, the pro at the Navy golf course, or his caddy of 11 years who won 13 of the 15 majors with, I, you know, these are people that were there. And a lot of our process was about listening to these people and really letting them tell us, this is what the story has been because a lot of these people have really participated in things before and haven't had a chance to tell their story and like sort of peel back that layer and let us see who the real Tiger Woods was. So a lot of the process for us was listening. What I enjoyed about, you know, the book was I felt like it gave me like a golf fan, the best look into how Tiger became the person that he is, as we know him, how he ended up with the scandal, how he ended up so great at golf, how he ended up tearing his body down. You know, as you're kind of doing the the background research for this, what what are the key pillars of his childhood that you fall back, you know, fell back on? And we're we're not nearly storytellers to the uh, you know to the extent that you guys are, but when we're creating some some kind of story in a video, you know, there's always three, four, five things that you're like, this is we want this message to make sure it gets in clear. I'm wondering how what how you guys would define what those kind of pillars are in this project. I think for us, it, you know, it, it's it's it comes down to you know the subject that we were able to to talk talk to for the doc, and you know Matt and I had a had a rule, you know, from the beginning that we really wanted everyone we spoke to to have had 
some sort of relationship with Tiger. They, they had to have known him in some way more than just covering him as a journalist. And, and therefore, you know, we, you know, through the subjects that we were able to, to speak to, we, we didn't feel an obligation ever to do the sort of full encyclopedia entry, you know, cradle to present of, of Tiger Woods. Um, you know, that's what the internet's for. That's what, you know, other things are for that. We, we never felt that that was our duty. Um, you know, we wanted to find the sort of, and highlight the key moments, both in his childhood and in, in his, in his teenage years, you know, and in, in his life as a college golfer. And, and then ultimately obviously a pro that really elucidated and, and shed light on who, you know, the main question that we're trying to answer, who is Tiger Woods? In doing so, obviously, we, we did not cover every single event uh, of his life. If I was to ask you, if you had to pick one person that's in the documentary that, that had to be, so if we're you know playing Russian roulette and you know we, somebody gets removed from the documentary, um, if you and you're able to power rank who you would want to be removed the least, the, the key cog, the most important person, I'm curious both of your answers, and, I, and I'll share mine after I, after I hear your answers. I think um, I'll give the golf. I'll give the golf-based answer for this, uh, and Heineman can give maybe the non-based golf-based answer. I think there's no question that if this, if we didn't have Steve Williams, I think that would be, you know, a pretty significant loss to the film. I think that you know, yes, the insight that Steve gives in terms of golf is fascinating. I think you know his story about Tiger sort of pulling over on the side of the road, and I'm sure for golf fans, you know that feeling of needing to work on the swing, you know, not even at the hotel room, but needing to pull over on the side of the road and work on the swing, something that had gotten inside his head right there on the side of the highway is good. I think that story he tells, uh, which I love of, of the sort of game within the game between Tiger and Phil at the 2001 Masters when Tiger was about to complete the, the Tiger Slam. I think that's fascinating. But, you know, I think, again, for us, the, the thing that intrigued me about Steve is the moments uh, that maybe weren't even necessarily golf moments where he's talking about um, riding in the car and Tiger set, talk, telling him about how he feels the, about the burden of basically being a, uh, you know, a, a extremely famous person. And also eventually the fame and the pressure that he's under building on building up around him to the point where he just said to Stevie that he's going to give up golf and join the Navy SEALs. I think those conversations, those sort of more, intimate moments between the two of them when they're driving in a car, things like that are just fascinating. Um, and I think he gave insight to Tiger's mind in a way that few have. I think for me, I mean, look, this is a, you know, a mental exercise months after finishing something. So uh, there's no obviously right or wrong answer. I think we'd, if we, you know, we'd probably both list multiple people, but I think if we're going down to one, I would say Dina. Yeah, that's his, mine. His, his high school <laughs> girlfriend, just because, I feel like she, you know, first of all, she, she hasn't, she's not well known. Most people don't know her story. Uh, she's, you know, barely spoken in the, in the public eye. And, you know, I think she sheds such insight into Tiger Woods at, at a time of his life where we don't know a ton about him. And I think the, the sort of innocence that she feels was lost, that, you know, there's a real sort of poignancy that she brings to the doc in sort of, you know, again, illustrating that part of his life. And, and I think the sort of before Tiger became part of the Tiger machine, before Tiger became Tiger. <laughs> and I find that part of his life and her deeply insightful comments on that, you know, 
you know, really fascinating. And and then, you know, on the other side, just from a purely practical point of view, she, you know, she gave us, you know, those amazing videos of home videos of Tiger goofing around, playing the saxophone. And and I feel like, you know, obviously we're in the business of of image making and, and those images of of a smiling tiger wide-eyed, glistening, eyes glistening, you know, grinning cheek to cheek. It's just a tiger that we don't see walking down the Masters uh, on the 18th hole. We don't see, you know, we, it's not the quote-unquote assassin between the ropes that, we, that we've all grown to know. And so I just found that to be unbelievably interesting. Yeah, that's that's really well said. You know, as someone that has followed his golf career for so long and and knew a teeny tiny part of that story, but to see the images, I felt that I thought that was that was very powerful and something that you know it, it all contribute. Again, all this stuff. I'm trying to. There's somewhat of a theme in the questions I'm asking you. They're contributing towards you know this understanding of the guy that we you know we've a lot of people have been covering for a long period of time, but yet have no idea how he functions or how he operates. And I just thought that. That spoke to you know a lot of you know the, some of that innocence lost uh, as soon as he turns professional or maybe even maybe even before that. So, um, how do you think the not that this is my job to ask you questions, but how, how do you think the golf world has responded to the documentary? I think well, one is one of the questions I had for you guys is I was going to ask you if if is it fair to say that this film is not a golf film, and because I wouldn't classify it as a golf film, I don't think it's about golf. I think it's about the man. And I think a lot of the golf fans, uh, you know, are going to want to view this more so. And, you know, a common theme I guess I'm seeing is, you know, it, it the golf stuff feels very secondary. And I'm like, well, I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, it doesn't, um, it isn't like a shot by shot, you know, recreation. And, and I, would, I would say to that, like that stuff exists out there. That's out there. Um, so I, I think it, it's kind of where I was referring to in the beginning about confusion from golf fans in terms of, you know, what, what this is, uh, about. And so I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. I watched part one, uh, the screener part one with, with my wife and she immediately was like, let's watch part two. And that, that reaction was very noteworthy to me in terms of like, I don't think this thing is for golf fans necessarily. It's for everyone. And a lot of golf people are, uh, not, they always want to see things necessarily through the golf lens, right? So I think, you know, some of the reaction, you know, calling it salacious and, you know, you know, whatever Tiger's personal life is his personal life, blah, 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 all that. I, I, I have a problem with just because I, as we, as we mentioned, I think it's incredibly fair to all of that. And uh, like I said, it could have been much, much, much deeper. And we're talking about one of the most public figures in the world. You kind of, you're going to lose this privacy. If you're going to be a spokesman for this many brands, your life is going to be under the microscope. And when you make decisions like this, it's going to get documented and that story is going to be told. So does that answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that's exactly, I mean, you, you sort of hit exactly what I think Matt and I were always tried to do. This is never a film about golf. And, and as you said, you know, there's plenty of channels and public, plenty of publications and plenty of podcasts and, you know, every other, way to get media out these days on just golf. And, and, you know, we, we wanted to sort of understand Tiger, the person and, and, and dive deeply into that. And, and obviously his prowess on the golf course is inherently part of the story, but that is, was not our focus by any means. And, and a common critique and, and one I, I have made myself as well is just about how the series 
ends and how you know the comeback at the end of his career almost seems a bit like an epilogue and in reality I think it's like the greatest sports comeback of my lifetime again I think that speaks to it not being a, a golf film but I'm curious it's like the comeback is not in the book it was published you know before the Masters win happened before any of his comeback wins happened and a combination of the question I guess is how did you go about you know setting out on this section of the film and what was the production schedule like for this was was this you know project already way in the works when he won the masters and then did you have to adjust it, it, it's I, I imagine it's a great challenge kind of trying to document somebody's career that's still ongoing well you know we we actually no we were not far into the process we had done our research and we had you know spent multiple months sort of reading and watching everything that we could find and sort of reaching out to all the different subjects that we thought we may might want to talk to but uh interestingly our first interview which was with rachel you happened three days two days after he won the 2019 masters so we had not set out to do to you know to make the story in a different way at all. You know, like everything else, we listened to the people that we were able to talk to. And one of the things that fascinated me about the 2019 Masters win is the second it happened, people started to talk about how it was a redemption story. And I always found that funny because I don't know why Tiger needed to redeem himself in the eyes of the public. Um, The things that he did that the tabloids covered for so long were really things between him and his wife and him and his family. Um, I don't know what winning a golf tournament has to do with redemption to begin with. What I started to hear, what we started to hear from the people that really knew Tiger best was that they saw Tiger finding a love of the game and enjoyment of the game in a way that they hadn't seen for so many years. You know, after this is sort of after the DUI in 2017, when he started to come back, the the sort of the thing that changed in Tiger was that he seemed to be enjoying himself for the first time in many, many years. And he was, you know, talking to the the people he was playing with and becoming more friendly with them and becoming a mentor to some of the younger people on the tour and things like that. So I think that um you know, we we really wanted to get away from the sort of redemption narrative that the media and the public and everybody sort of glommed onto um, after after the Masters win and focus on the the joy of the game because you know as we were talking about earlier the the video of of Tiger that uh, Dina Gravel gave us when we were uh, when we first met her was of this kid who seemed to be full of joy and you know if you talk to the people that knew him best, they sort of say that that went away to a certain degree. And to see that come back was very special to a lot of them because, you know, one of the things we noticed is that all of these people, even the ones that, you know, Tiger had sort of cut out of his life in this really, uh, in, at times, brutal way, they they all really care about Tiger. They're all still fiercely protective of him. And they, I think they really were happy to see him enjoying the game again. So I think a lot of our focus uh, was on that. On that note, is it difficult to get people to speak for a documentary like this? What's the process like for getting in touch with with so many of his contacts? And how do you go about getting them to talk? Because, you know, it seems that there is a, a uh, almost mafia, like if you if you talk, like you're out of my life kind of thing that comes with, with Tiger Woods. And it does seem to be, you know, included in there are some people that he no longer appears to speak to. 
And I'm wondering just kind of, you know, how many no's you got and who are the no's and, you know, did it take some coercing or kind of encouragement for some of these uh, contacts to actually speak? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, having filmed in with, you know, mafias and cartels and other things in my life, you know, I, the power of, of people at the top is, is, is quite astounding no matter where you are. And I think, you know, it was obviously, this is, we're not talking about a, a cartel or mafia here, but, but I, but I do think the, as Matt said, I think, I think the power that Tiger, the aura and the, and the sort of power around him and his, his machine, you know, was, 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 I, I, I expected it. I knew it existed. And, but the sort of, the depth of that existence, I, I guess I didn't expect. And I, I didn't expect that every single person that you touched or that you're trying to get a hold of, or you're trying to gain their trust, you're trying to get them to talk, um, always sort of was extremely deferential to Tiger and to, you know, w you know, making sure that this wasn't some sort of hit job and making sure that, you know, they would be okay and they'd be handled okay. And that, um, I don't know, it, it was really fascinating to me um, how, how psychologically, uh, you know, connected and, and impacted everyone was. Even if some of these people, you know, no longer were in touch with Tiger and had been cut out of his life, like many people, that power still existed. Nick Faldo and Morocco Mediate, I believe, are to be the only professional golfers that, that speak in the documentary. Why? I don't know if you have Nick Faldo is more prominently featured than Rocco, but why him? Why was he willing to speak? And kind of what reaction did you get from him that was different than, I, than I'm sure so many other professional golfers that you uh, had requested? I think for Nick, I think in, a, in an interesting way, it was probably one of the easiest uh, people to get to talk. It was, it was a couple conversations. I think we called him up, explained what we were doing, just sort of tried to tell him, you know, we're, we're going to be making a complex and nuanced portrait of this guy that in a way that I don't think has ever been done before. And he was interested and really excited to talk to us. And so the great thing about Sir Nick, as, as he's called, is um, that he just, he has such an incredible knowledge of the game. And I think really was able to not only talk about two really key two two really key instances rather of when he played with Tiger the first being the 97 Masters because he was the I think the 96 Masters champion and Tiger was the amateur champion so they automatically got paired together I think for the first day for Thursday and then the second time was right after you know Tiger's father had passed and he was playing in the 2006 British Open and sort of have insight into those two incredible days uh, through uh, Nick Faldo's sort of mind was was fascinating. And then also, obviously, Nick was at the um, 2017 championships dinner at, uh, at, at Augusta, and he was there for the moment when Tiger told a couple of people that he was done and that he was never going to be able to play again. So, you know, it, it was great. And then, and then Rocco is just such an incredible character, um, really funny. And he is sort of exactly as he appears on camera, he's sort of firing on all cylinders like that at, you know, 24 seven. And it was just, um, a, a joy to talk to. 
you know, we make uh, videos that are couldn't be much more different than this one, but I always find it incredibly hard uh, to cut some things out, you know, and the, <laughs> you would laugh at the things that I'm talking about compared to what I'm sure you guys had to leave uh, on the cutting room floor. I want to know for each of you, what, what did you have the hardest time cutting? What's something that, you know, you just, it was painful to say like, all right, this, you know, for whatever reason, this, this storyline or this clip or this section can't go in. There's always so many things when you're editing doc that, that, you know, you wish you could have gotten in and, and, you know, Matt can probably speak more to this. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, look, we set out really to make a, a one long film. We never sort of thought about this. It's like, this is a two part documentary series. And, you know, it wasn't like we were producing part one with one set of people and producing part two with another set of people. It was the same team creating one long film that was ultimately broken up into two parts. And, you know, Obviously, there's other examples of, of sort of series like The Last Dance and other things that are, you know, much longer and, you know, multi-parts and stuff. And, you know, I think we we wanted to make this, you know, tight. But I think in, in doing so, in, in, in telling a story in, in just two parts, you know, in roughly three hours, I think obviously a lot of the people that we spoke to, we could have gone into much greater depth. And there's, you know, tons of amazing stories and anecdotes that, that we weren't able to include. But I think ultimately we felt like we wanted to tell a story that that could be consumed in in one sitting, and and that was that was really just one long film. I think for me, the simple answer is I don't think there's a lot that's on the cutting room floor that I wish could be in the documentary. I think if it was, as Matt said, there was no agenda. There was no we have to do this in two parts. We have to do this for three hours or anything like that. Uh, if it was if it needed to be in there to understand better who Tiger Woods is and and how he got to the point that he's at today, it was going to go in the film. Um, I'm I'm very happy, though, I will say with our, our our team's ability to, you know, I talked to the editors a lot about this and we had an incredible editorial team led by Dan Kohler, uh, who's one of the best editors in the business. And, you know, for those of people out there that don't understand how documentaries get made, you know, you accumulate hundreds of hours of interviews, and then you have tens of thousands, in this case, hours of archival that have to be have to be sort of combed through, and then all that sort of sort of has to be put together. Someone like Dan, uh, our our other editors, uh, Nick and Monica, they have an enormous responsibility, and they have such an incredible sort of role in the shaping of these movies. Uh, so, uh, what? But what I really appreciate about what they did and what we all did together on this film is I, I, I talked to them a lot about how, you know, we have to keep in mind, we have to, Tiger went through some dark periods in his life, but we have to make sure that we're only including things for a very specific reason to show how far he went down into one part of his life, you know, and I would say, keep in mind, there's a chance his kids are going to watch this thing someday. So there were so many salacious details that were on the cutting room floor that I'm so happy we didn't ever even think about putting in. And, and also there's been so many things written about Tiger over the years. I still remember reading Hank Haney's book and Hank was talking about how um, he was angry at Tiger one day because Tiger didn't share popsicles uh, with him or something like that in his living room. And, you know, it's just, there's so many things like that that were written and it's just like, I don't know what, what, I, I don't know what this really contributes to who Tiger Woods is. And I think for, uh, you know, I'm much less concerned about what we didn't get in than I am that, you know, 
we we really didn't cover the the really salacious details and really just got to the bottom of who Tiger Woods is. Were you close at all to getting Hank Haney to be able to contribute? I reached out to Hank uh, one time, I believe, and I, I I don't want to put any words in Hank's mouth, but I, you know, I think I think there's still a degree of animosity there and uh, between him and Tiger, and I don't know how much time Hank really wants to spend discussing the Tiger Woods story anymore. I think he feels like he said his he said his thing with the book, and so that was that. It was a very quick conversation. If you had to sit down and ask Tiger one question, you get to inject him with truth serum and he has to answer it truthfully, what would it be? It's a good question. Matt, what do you think? I'm putting you on the spot here so I can think of a better answer. <laughs> yeah, so you, you can riff off of me. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, so many things. I think it's, it's, not, a, it's, a, you know, it's not a mind-blowing question, but I, I think I'd ask him you know, what his biggest regret is, what he regrets most in his life. Because I, f- I feel like that would then lead to a whole host of <laughs> other questions I could ask. And I think, you know, maybe he doesn't regret anything. And, and that also is interesting. I, I don't know, but I, I, sure, I surely think that he does obviously wish that things went differently in his life. And so, I, you know, I'm curious if his answer is, is around his family, you know, his infidelities and other things. Is his answer around golf? Is his answer around his relationship with his father? I don't know. I think that that question is, you know, I would love to ask him. Um, but, you know, I think we all know that 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 answer will never probably be given truthfully. There's an interesting clip in I hope I remember this right in the 2016 Charlie Rose interview, you know, where he's talking about sitting down with his kids and discussing this. And it almost Charlie almost puts the, the words in his mouth, says something along the lines of regret, or, you know, you you regretting this and tiger almost goes out of his way to to say like no not regret like i i'm, I'm not saying regret and i just I, I i need to go back and watch that i hope i'm remembering that right but i always found that like really bizarre he was going out of his way to say like no no, no like we're not using that word regret it so i don't know if that, i don't know if that answers your question at all but I, I i'd have to go back and watch that again to i hadn't thought of that for a while until you had said that yeah i mean i think for me i i think the thing that one of the things that really intrigued me about this story uh, was the father father son relationship with him and Earl. And I think that if if I could go back and ask him anything, it would probably be, you know, if as you said, if he had truth serum, um, I would love to just ask him uh, what he thought of his relationship with his father because I think, you know, in talking to the people like Pete McDaniel, who is Earl Wood's biographer, very close to Earl and Tiger and Tita um, to this day in, in some of those cases. Um, I think, you know, Pete and Joe Groman, who had a front row seat to their relationship as well, and Dina, all of these people, they all point to how this is at the same time was one of the most, you know, sort of loving relationships that you could possibly imagine um, between the two of them, but also an incredibly complicated one. And I, and I'd really love to know, you know, what Tiger has to say about that. Um, that's, that's the thing that I would, I would, I would just love to, to know about him. Do you guys ever think, and this may not be a question for the two of you, but you know, having been in contact with a lot of his contacts and whatnot, do you ever think Tiger will sit down for a documentary about some point about his life at some point, maybe in his later years, but do you ever picture him kind of, uh, you know, being a part of something like this? I don't think anytime soon. You know, I, I think people will always write about how 
how similar Jordan and, and Tiger are uh, in many ways. I think they're also extremely different. Um, I think I can't remember who who talked about it, but a lot of our subjects talked about this too, is that they're, you know, one, t- Tiger is essentially a complete introvert and Jordan is a very sort of type A sort of extrovert. Uh, so they're very different in that way. But, you know, I think it took uh, LeBron James and uh, the, the the Golden State Warriors to to and and both of those that team and that person's individual success and people starting to talk about you know who's the greatest of all time to to get Jordan to even want to come out and make you know a completely authorized uh, documentary I I would am I I don't see any, I don't I shouldn't say that. I'd be interested and surprised if Tiger made uh, a move like that um, without being pushed by something like that. Somebody coming in and starting to sort of tear apart his his records and threatening and people starting to say, well, this may be the greatest golfer of all time, uh, you know, maybe then. But I still don't think that we're ever probably going to get the sort of, you know, fully exposed, really reflective sort of, you know, uh, doc from Tiger. It's also hard for people to reflect on themselves, right? I mean, like, and, and what yeah. is truth? Like, what is, what is truth? Like, what is, you know, and I think that's, that was inherently a, a really interesting exercise for, for Matt and I is, is, yeah, of course, we don't have Tiger, and that sucks. Um, but, you know, given the limitations that we have, can we actually get at some sort of, you know, deeper understanding of this man that maybe perhaps we couldn't have gotten if he was controlling the project? And I'd like to think the answer to that question is yes. I'm not sure what, you know, the proper way to ask this question is, but, it, you know, I, I know it when I see it on our end in terms of like, oh, that's the clip. Oh, I can't believe we got that. Or you're just so excited about something either just found or just got from an interview subject. What one either archival or, you know, footage you guys got or, you know, access to something you got or something you got from an interviewee, what was the, the, the key part, the, the most excited you got after you got something from somebody or found a story or kind of, you know, reflecting on it, do you, uh, the, the key cog or something that just said like, hey, we got it, that was it, we got it? I mean, I, we, we spoke to about, about Dean, I think, I think for me, just on, on the interview side of things, I think the interview with, with Joe Groman, um, that we did, um, it was actually, I think our first, or, it was our, I think maybe our second or third interview, um, after Rachel and his recollection of Earl's infidelity on a young impressionable tiger and his own infidelities on a young impressionable tiger and the depth of sort of sorrow and, and regret that he had for, for, you know, exposing Tiger to that at that age, you know, God knows how many years later, I'm not good at math, you know, was, was really, I thought quite profound to me. And, and, and I thought was, was, was really, really interesting. And, and something that, you know, we didn't know going into the, that interview that that's, you know, and so the fact that, you know, we were able to get that out of him was, was really interesting to me. I mean, there's countless other examples, but for whatever reason that, that came to mind. Obviously, Joe is a uh, you know a great example, but one of the I think I think for me the thing that really struck me was when I actually did a big sort of drive through 
you know, starting in starting in Arizona, driving through California, and then eventually to Utah and Colorado to talk to a lot of these people at the beginning of this thing. And I remember going and talking to Amber Loria and her talking. This is one of Tiger's close friends for many, many years, um, a, a niece of um, Mark O'Mara. And uh, she was in Isleworth for for. I would, I would imagine close to a decade sort of getting to know Tiger really, really well. And she told the story about Tiger scuba diving and his, the, the pressure that he was facing um, and the mania that surround him. And when she talked to the, told that story about how he would escape to the bottom of the ocean and he did it because, as Tiger would tell her, the fishies don't know who I am down there. I thought that that was just fascinating and it was a great insight to sort of Tiger's mind um, to hear how much that stuff had weighed on him. And it sort of started this pattern that we started to see with all these people of Tiger trying to escape from the real world. And uh, he did it in a number of different ways over the years. Um, but that was, that was really an incredible detail to me um, that she told me. Well, I'll get you guys out of here on this. Maybe this is more uh, nerdy uh, documentary talk, but a lot of people wonder like why things like these aren't more frequent or don't happen. And a, a huge hurdle is getting you know video footage rights. What's the process like for you know getting PGA Tour rights, getting U.S. Open rights, getting Masters rights, especially when you know there's a section in there that's quite critical of Billy Payne. Augusta is very conscious of their image at all times. What what is that process like? Does that happen at your guys' level? Is it different teams? I'm I'm just curious if you could share anything related to that. First, we had an incredible we had an incredible team uh, uh, to to archival is when you do a film like this archival is everything. So we had an incredible team of producers on this uh, that that handled everything. Uh, Jenna Millman and Trevor Davidovsky. Uh, he they they were instrumental to finding people to uh, that we were looking for, getting contact information, and in Jenna's case, really convincing them all to come on board and talking to them and sort of cultivating these relationships, um, and then. You know, we had a guy named Matt Fisher who's down in Miami who has done a ton of sports documentaries as an archival producer. And when I talked to people that sort of, you know, worked at ESPN and different places, they all said, this is the guy. He's the best in the business and you have to get him. And they were absolutely right. He was just incredible. And... So that was the start of it, and and we 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 just started to comb through hours and hours of footage, just finding finding things that, you know, would help elucidate what the what the people that knew Tiger best were talking about. And so it was just this incredible process of of combing through, like I said, tens of thousands of hours of of, of footage, and that was a testament to our team getting all that stuff um, and then our editors really figuring out what needed to be um, what needed to be pulled so it, it was really a team effort well thank you guys both for uh, for joining today sharing the story and for uh, sharing the documentary and uh, I know a lot of a lot of our listeners are looking forward to watching part two uh, coming up this weekend and uh, yeah really uh, really appreciate the time thank you so much thank you cheers be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 